Appreciate you guys. Thank you, Megan and the team. Well, listen, let me invite you to open up your word to the New Testament, the book of Acts. The book of Acts, it is, um, we're in a series that we began last week. And as I mentioned, we're going to be in Acts. We're kind of taking a, uh, not, a, not really a jaw, kind of a fast walk, if you will. Because uh, you could really be in Acts and take your real like sweet time for like six months if we wanted to. But we're, our, our goal is to go through the book of Acts, the 28 chapters, up until around Thanksgiving. Uh, we're going to have a, a short break in this series uh, that we're, we're going to uh, introduce to you. Uh, soon that we'll we'll get into later, but for now we're going to be in Acts. To, last week we started this with Acts one and two, uh, which really talked about the the beginning of the book of Acts. Was uh, what we kind of brought out in that was a, the heartbeat of that uh, of the beginning of, of of Acts is really about God giving people a new beginning. And today we're going to uh, attempt to be in chapters three and four and five. And as we're going to talk on the theme of finding purpose. Somebody say purpose. Finding purpose. The, the definition is simple in the sense that purpose is the reason something or someone exists. Why does something or someone exist? Maybe let's make it a little more personal. Why do I exist? Uh, this is a question that we are born with. Why am I here? Why am I on this earth? What, does, what am I supposed to do with my life? And we're going to look at the beginning here, uh, the, as we are in the beginning of Acts, these three chapters, and it's going to answer that question on how you and I can find our purpose. Um, maybe, and, and again, depending on where we are in life. Purpose itself doesn't change in the sense of God's ordained purpose for our life, but kind of how it's lived out in different stages and seasons of life. Maybe you might be here today and you might be at a retired status of life where you're retired and, um, and you might be wondering, what's next for me? What, what am I supposed to be spending my time and investing my energy on in this part of my life. Um, maybe you're raising children, uh, like where that's where I am right now, and um, you're like, wow, what do we do? Anybody, any parent ever ask that question? Like, I don't know how to handle this. Uh, I don't, uh, there's like a thousand books, but, but this is my kid. What do I do here? And um, maybe you're raising children. Maybe you've got little ones. Maybe you, you, you've got little bitty ones to teenagers. Uh, and you're like, man, what, how does our purpose look like in this stage of life? Or, or maybe you're, you're a teenager. Maybe you're, uh, you're like, well, what am I supposed to do with my life? Obviously, you're supposed to be in school. You know, that's like your job right now that you don't get paid for uh, to go to school. Uh, but what, there's got to be more to, than tests and quizzes and papers uh, and things to that nature. What am I supposed to do with my life? And... The bottom line question is, how do we, what are we supposed to do with our life in a way that would honor God? How do we live our life and fulfill the purpose that he has me for right now? And, and so wherever you are, in, in whatever stage or season of life, maybe, maybe you have been uh, in a place of transition on your job. 
and you're trying to figure out the next steps and what's my purpose here? How do I navigate this part of life and my work in this, in this uh, time of my life? But purpose is something, uh, the question of it is something we are all born with and sadly there are a whole lot of people who live who never truly find their God-given purpose, what they were really created for. And the book of Acts here in the beginning, we're going to look at that. I believe it shines some light and answers that question on how you and I can really find our purpose wherever we might find ourselves at in a stage or a season of life. And uh, that's, what the, that's where the early church found themselves. This was all brand new as we looked at last week. The end of chapter 2 of Acts summarizes kind of the normal um, moves and rhythms of the church and what they devoted themselves to, what they gave themselves to, the, their investment into something and, and, and finding out what they were created for now as now the Holy Spirit was living in them. The Holy Spirit was filling their life and it was not a flesh and blood Jesus. It was now the Spirit of God filling their life. How do we navigate this new challenge, this new beginning, this new outlook, this new phase of life, so to speak. And so that's, that's where we are uh, picking up right here in chapter 3. And I'm just going to uh, talk about three, three ways that the early church here discovered and found their purpose. All right, you guys ready? So number one, first, they found their purpose. Finding purpose was, is found in meeting with God individually and with other believers. Let's look at chapter 3. Verse 1, it says, Peter and John, let me, let me back up real fast, I apologize. I'm going to bounce all over 3, 4, and 5, chapter 3, 4, and 5 today, okay? Where there's not a, um, this message did not get, get designed the way I normally would design it in the sense of follow verse 1, 2, 3, 4. It's going to pop around, okay? So chase the rabbit with me, okay? Let's, let's go into the hole today and let's chase the rabbit, okay? Maybe I should call it that. There's a purpose in that too. Um, but chapter 3, verse 1 says, Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon, another translation says every day, to take part in the 3 o'clock prayer service. All right, jump over to chapter 4. These are going to all be on the screen to follow kind of quickly with us. Verse 23 says, um, this was happened a little bit later on in this story. It says, as soon as they were freed, Peter and John, they were put in jail. They were released. They returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders had said. And when they heard this report, all the believers, everyone say all, all the believers, remember at this point there's about three to 5,000 believers. And it said all of them. All of them lifted their voices together in prayer to God and they began to pray. And you see here in the beginning of chapter 3 and, and, and then also in chapter 4 how there was this priority on finding themselves meeting with God. Individually, Peter and John were going to go to the temple to pray. This was their daily routine, so to speak. And they also, they were, at the end of chapter 2, it also tells us in verse 46 that the believers met together daily in the temple to worship and in each other's homes and did that on a regular basis. That was their new routine, their new normal, if you will. And so we find out here that 
the beginning of this whole thing, we're going to find out what our purpose is, is first rooted and found in ourselves meeting with God, having a relationship with God, not in just, not in just talk, not in just theory, not in just our head, but an intentional relationship with the Lord. They made it a point to meet with God as individuals, and they made it a point to meet with God together as the church. All right? So what we're going to go through today, it, it's, it's not like, um, you know, like some mind-blowing new revelation that's out there today, because what has been is still what is today that works for the believers to discover why we exist, who we are, what God has created us for, what our purpose is. Finding our purpose is first and foremost found in meeting with God. Daily they did this. It was a sunrise thing and a three o'clock thing in the afternoon. They met with God. And what we find out in meeting with God, purpose begins to unfold. As they daily met with God, it transformed their life in such a way for God to then use their life as vessels that his power and his love would flow through to reach other people to touch other people, to help other people in need, a.k.a. purpose. Their purpose began to be discovered as they were daily meeting with God. As they daily set themselves to have a conversation, prayer, interaction, intimacy with the Lord on their own and with other believers, they began to realize God was changing their life, changing their views, changing their perspectives, changing their outlook, changing how they viewed themselves, changing how they viewed other people, changing how they interact with each other. They began to see God was transforming their life. The more they gave themselves to God, the more God was giving himself to them, and the more God was changing them from the inside out. And they began to discover God was using them. God had a purpose for each of their lives. And part of that purpose, you see it outlined in the rest of this chapter and, in, and, and, and through these three chapters, three, four, and five, how right up at this point, there, as they were going into the temple to pray, said there was this lame man who was uh, paralyzed from birth, who was brought every single day to be set right outside the temple gate, and he begged people for money. So as people were going in to worship, he was begging them for money. This had been happening for years. He had been in this position since his birth, at least 20 years. And he was right here trying to get money. He was begging for money. You know, there is a difference between what people want and what people need. There, there's a big difference between what you and I actually are wanting and what you and I actually are needing. And it brings up this 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 thought here with this particular person, what he wanted was a daily fix that only brought a temporary contentment because he had to do this every day. But what he needed was a physical healing that would transform his life. So it brings up a little bit deeper thought of question 
do we draw near to God to beg him for temporary fixes, or do we draw near to God because we need a changed life? Do we go to meet with God because all we want him to do is fix, 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 or do we go to God because we want him to change our life? And there was a big difference between this person who was begging for something. Same place, same location, but different motive, different expectation. Two went in to pray to meet with God because they wanted God to keep changing them. The other went to the same place to meet, to beg. And that's a question you and I have to answer for ourselves. Do we meet with God because we want Him to fix our temporary situation? Or do we want to meet with God because we want Him to truly change our life? Change everything about us. Change the way we think. Change the way we view. Change the way we talk. Change the way we interact. Change the private side of our life. Change the public side of our life. Change the very depth of our heart, because that's what God can do. You see, if we draw near to God for a changed life, then what we'll see is God transform us, and we'll begin to find our purpose. We'll begin to find our purpose. And then these two disciples, they as they continue to meet with God daily and regularly as individuals and with each other in the body of Christ at the, as believers, they, Peter and John went on to preach and speak to the crowds, and the, and the numbers went from 3,000 believers to 5,000 believers from chapter 2 to chapter 4. And then by the time you get to chapter 5, look at this verse in chapter 5, verse 15. It says, as a result of the apostles' work, sick people were brought out into the streets on beds and mats so that Peter's shadow might fall across some of them as he went by. Did you catch that? So that Peter's shadow. This, this is like, the, this happens. This is a real story. His shadow, so that his shadow might fall across some of them as he walked by. God was using them in such creative, unique, powerful ways, they didn't even know God was using them sometimes. Just walking in the way the sun was shining, the shadow was cast, and the people were brought out into the streets as the, as the believers walked by in hopes that just if the shadow would touch them. That's, that's the kind of desperation these people had. The kind of faith they had was, man, I don't even need Peter to talk to me today. I just need to be letting his shadow cast across my life. Another title for the message, Chasing Shadows. When's the last time my shadow healed somebody? Never that I know of. Maybe Peter didn't know it. Luke knew it because he wrote about it. 
He was watching it. He was documenting it. Maybe they had a conversation on the side. Yo, Peter, what's up, dude? Let me tell you something, bro. Let me tell you this. Dude, you were walking down One Beach Avenue right there, and your shadow launched across the street, and there was this sick dude across the street, couldn't ever get up, and your shadow touched him. Like, as soon as your shadow passed, the guy got up and started walking and beatboxing around the street. Did you know that happened, Peter? He's like, not even know, man. I was just so focused on right here, and, and that's how God was. I mean, come, can you imagine that? You go to school tomorrow, and your shadow cast across the, the cafeteria or the gym floor, and that whatever sick person there was, whatever ailment that person had, dude, they got healed. You go to work tomorrow and you're doing your job and you're at the you're just doing your thing wherever you might be and your shadow the light shines at the right angle and your shadows cast out and your coworker walks by <coughs> and they leave you and they're like, I feel good. How about we just let our shadow do the talking for us? If we would just meet with God on a regular basis and keep the precedence of our relationship with God, first and foremost, God changes us, God transforms us, and we still got our issues, we still got stuff going on in our life, but we're so fixed on God, we don't care. We know we cast our cares onto him because he cares for us, and at the right time, he will lift us up by his mighty hand. He will exalt us at the right time. We live knowing we have our current pain, our current struggles, but later we find out where Paul writes about, three times I begged God to take this thorn out of my flesh, but each time he said, your weakness is made perfect in my strength. God wasn't removing his thorn, but he was giving him greater grace and greater strength. In other words, you and I still got our problems. We still got our pain, but we're not so fixed on the issue. We're fixed on the God who is the way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. It doesn't matter what I'm going through. I keep my eyes turned upon Jesus. I look full into his wonderful face, and I see everything of this earth growing strangely dim. And as I live my life for God and I'm fixed on him, my shadow is healing people. I want my shadow. It's not very long. It's behind me because of the light. I want my shadow, God, as I just walk down Kroger, Isle, whatever, somebody can walk past my shadow and be touched by your presence. We all got drama in our life. Just think about if we stop fixing our eyes on the drama and we fixed our eyes on the author and the perfecter of our faith. That who for the joy who set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and then sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, Jesus. What if we could live like that? I want to live like that. I've been serving Jesus, knowing him now for 30 years, and there's still so much more to get to know. But man, I want to enter into a day and time where just my shadow, like Peter's, can touch somebody's life. And I don't even have to get the credit. I don't have to get a shout out on Instagram or anywhere else. I just keep on going and serving, the God, serving my Lord and somebody behind me and walking in across my shadow is touched and changed. And I may never know it, but when I get to heaven, they walk up to me and they say, you didn't know this, but on that day, 
day was my lowest day. And I just happened to see you walk by because there was something different about the way you walked and about the way you carried yourself. And I just happened to walk past your shadow. And ever since then, I have not looked back. I got, I, I've been set free. I've been delivered. And I've been changed. And I made it to the pearly gates just like you did. I'm just tossing out something that I think is possible for the way you and I are called to live our life. And because there was someone who met with God regularly, they found their purpose, and God used their life to impact other people. You want to find your purpose? Meet with God. He'll show it to you every time. Number two, finding our purpose is found in the name and person of Jesus. Okay, I'm going to read a lot of scripture here. They're going fast, but I just want to tie it all together. Finding our purpose is found in the name and the person of Jesus. 3 verse 6. The lame guy looked at Peter and John and said, Hey, can I have some money? And they looked back at him. Look at verse, uh, look at verse 6. Peter said, Dude, I don't have any silver or gold, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. That just makes me kind of think about all the times I see people on corners begging for money that I don't actually maybe not have any money at the time, but if I just maybe got out of my car and walked up to them and said, I don't have any money, but what I do have, in Jesus' name, you can be free. And their life just flippantly turns around like that. I don't know. I'm just tossing out ideas. But half the time, I'm too scared. I'm too nervous. I'm too busy. That's just me. But he's like, I don't have that. What? I can't fix your temporary problem, is what he's saying. Look, I can't, I can't fix your temporary problem, but what I do have I, I, is something that's a solution to your life's problem. And in Jesus' name, get up and walk. And that's what he did. Look down in verse 16. It says, Peter was talking about it later. He says, through faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed. Through faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed. And you know how crippled he was before. You know how jacked up he was before. You know how unstable he was before. Faith in Jesus' name is what healed him before your very eyes. Before Jesus, this man was crippled. He was jacked up. He had no stability. He had no direction. He had no purpose in his life. But instantly when Jesus stepped into his life, everything changed about him. Everything changed about him. And so look over in chapter 4. I'm going to run through a few scriptures real fast. 4 verse 2. It says, these leaders, talking about the religious leaders, heard what happened. They brought, they were bringing um, Peter and John in to talk. They said, these leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus there is a resurrection of the dead. Verse 7, 
He says they brought the two disciples in. They demanded, by what power or whose name have you done this? What, what's the big deal about the name of Jesus? Whose name did you do this in? And Peter answered, verse 10, he says, let me clearly state to all of you. I just love this about Peter. He goes, let me just make it clear to you today. You ever been in a conversation like that where somebody's trying to get an answer from you? And you're like, let me just set the record straight. And that's what Peter did. He goes, let me make it clear to all of you and to everybody in Israel, this man was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. They're like, all right. But that wasn't enough. They they kept on going in verse 17. It says, but to keep them from spreading their propaganda. Listen to that, Luke writes, their propaganda. He says, We must warn them not to speak to anyone in Jesus' name again. So they called the apostles back in and commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. So the disciples, they all went together, they prayed. And then look at part of this prayer in verse 30. They prayed, God, stretch out your hands with healing power. And may miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They counteracted their correction with a prayer to have more boldness to preach in the name of Jesus. Look in chapter 5, verse 27. They got arrested again for doing this. And then it said, an angel came and opened the gates of the jail, told them, hey, go back to the temple and give the message of life to the people So that's what they did. And then down verse 27, chapter 5 says, They they brought the apostles before the high council where the high priest confronted them. And they said, Didn't we tell you never again to teach in this man's name? Instead, you have filled all Jerusalem with your teaching about him. And you want to make us responsible for his death. Verse 40, through a long ordeal, back and forth, they came to a conclusion. They said, they called in the apostles, had them flogged. Then they ordered them never again to speak in the name of Jesus. And then they let them go. And what'd they do? Verse 42. Luke writes here, Every day in the temple and from house to house, they continue to teach and preach this message, Jesus is the Messiah. Can't stop, won't stop. Don't stop. They didn't. Why the name of Jesus? What's the big deal? Let's circle back to chapter 4, verse 13 real quick. said, the members of the council were amazed in this interaction with Peter and John. They were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. They could see they were ordinary men with no special training in the Scriptures, And they also recognized these men as someone who had been with Jesus. Someone who had been with Jesus. So, the big deal, Peter and John found themselves spending time in the name and the person of Jesus. And that led them to find their purpose. And they found out the name of Jesus invokes the power and the presence of Jesus. And that's the name of 
that they kept on preaching the name of Jesus, the Messiah, which means the anointed one. Jesus is the anointed one. The reason these people didn't want them to speak or teach or do anything in the name of Jesus, the Messiah from Nazarene, is because Jesus, the Messiah, is Jesus, the anointed one. And the anointed one, he's anointed to save people. He's anointed to heal people. He's anointed to deliver people. He's anointed to wake dead people up and send them on their way. He's anointed to change people's lives. And they were wrecked by this. They didn't know what to do by this. Because half the time, you and I, we can't explain it. When Jesus does something so powerful, it makes no sense to us that he could do that in a person's life. Peter just experiencing six weeks prior to all of this, denying Jesus, scared, afraid, to even be noted as his friend. And now he's preaching Now his shadow's healing people. 3,000, 5,000 people get healed. Standing before these religious leaders of the day and telling them, let me just set the record straight. We're going to keep doing this. God giving us the strength to do it because the name of Jesus opens up our life to find our purpose And it opens up our life to find our purpose because Jesus, the anointed one, saves our crooked, messed up, jacked up lives. Jesus, the anointed one, heals our life physically and can heal our life mentally and can heal our life emotionally, can heal our life drastically. Jesus, the anointed one, can deliver us from any stronghold in our life. Think about your hang-ups. Jesus, the anointed one, can set you free from your hang-ups. Think about your habits that don't honor the Lord. Jesus can heal you and deliver you from the habits in our life that don't honor him. You want to find your purpose? Find yourself in the name and the person of Jesus. Make him Lord and make him Savior of your life and live in that. Number three, I got to finish this last one. You guys okay? Talking about finding purpose. Finding our purpose is found in fellowship with other believers. Look at this, chapter 4, verse 32. All the believers were united in heart and mind. They they, They felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. For instance, there was this Joseph one time, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles and given some examples there of kind of how they helped meet needs and take care of each other. 
Finding our purpose is also found in the fellowship of other believers. The word fellowship in the Bible carries a way deeper meaning and connotation than what we use fellowship today. I want you to listen to this definition. The word fellowship in the Greek writing is koinonia, which has this meaning to it. So when you hear finding our purpose is found in fellowship, it's found in koinonia, it's found in community, joint participation, close mutual relationship and involvement with one another, alliance with a group, both formal and informal, intimacy, singleness of purpose and trust of one another. Has all of that working in that one word? Fellowship. In the New Testament, there are over 50 one another commands. It tells us, do this for one another. For instance, serve one another by using the gifts God has given you. Bear one another's burdens. Or confess to one another your sins and pray for one another so that you may be healed. That's just a few examples. So in the context of fellowship, we find that it is linked to not being solo, one-person show, isolated on your own, but together, one to another. I'm reminded that trying to figure out how to follow God, have a relationship with Him. In the church that I came from, had good friends, brothers in Christ, and uh, good leaders in the Lord. And there were some occasions where either the brothers in my life or the leaders in my life kind of call me to the side and they see something going on in my life they felt was going to be a hindrance to God's purpose in my life. They would ask me about it. They would say, what's up with that? What you doing? Notice I hadn't seen you in a while. What's going on? Notice your demeanor, your outlook, your countenance. It's not the normal Jeremy I'm used to seeing. What's happening? I could lie to them, or I could try to, you know, spin it. I know we don't do that. Nobody in this church does that. Manipulate it, or I could just be like, here's the deal. Don't get me wrong. I tried to manipulate some things. I tried to spin some things, and it didn't take long. They figured out. Wasn't telling the truth. My point is, I'm glad God surrounded me with those kinds of people who cared enough about me to get in my face, to get up in my grill, and ask me, what's going on? What's the struggle? What's the issue? What's happening? And love me enough to not only pray with me, but to also keep circling back and continue to help me in those areas of weakness in my life. 
and it began to realize that as I would lean into that fellowship, God began to open up my eyes to my purpose. To realize, hey, you're going to be a pastor, you're going to have to be an honest person. You can't preach one thing and go live another way. So God back then was building some character, working on some character flaws in my life because that's just who I used to be. And he used the fellowship to help me. And it brings into this story in chapter 5, this story about Ananias and Sapphira. You see, that was the common thing. People were selling land that they owned and then giving the money to the apostles, to the church, to help help and make, meet needs and all those different things. Well, Ananias and Sapphira did that, and, but here's, here's where, they, where they went wrong. They, they told the apostles, hey, we felt led to sell our property and give all the proceeds to the church. But in secret, what they did, they, they conspired with each other, and they kept half of it. And so when, they, when Ananias brought the, the money in, they, he said, this is all of it, but yet he had kept half of it. And, and Peter's having this conversation with him. He's like, dude, you, you're tripping right now. You, you're not lying to us. You're lying to the Holy Spirit. He goes, it was your property to sell or not sell. It was your money to give it or not give it. You don't have to come in here and lie and manipulate. You see, here's the thing. In community, we should be able to feel safe enough to not have to lie or to manipulate with one another or cheat each other, take advantage of each other, or make ourselves look, give the appearance of one thing in reality of the condition of how we really are. And so Ananias dropped dead. That's crazy. He dropped dead. They had some guys come in, take him out, cover him up, and and bury him. Three hours later, his wife comes in. And they ask her, hey, was this the price you guys sold your property for? And she goes, like, yeah, that's it. And he's like, oh, my goodness. He's like, oh, oh, oh my goodness, I, I can't believe you, the two of you, could even think about lying and about conspiring against the Holy Spirit. He said, those young men there, they just buried your husband. He dropped dead for what you just did. And you're got, you're, you're, they're about to take you out of here too. What is going on in the New Testament church? You got great things happening, people getting healed, people getting born again, and the church meeting the needs of people, and you got two people dropping dead because they tried to do something good, but there's more to all of this. I'll narrow it down to to this one thing here. There's a few angles you could probably go on this, but I'll, I'll narrow it down to this one. The third commandment of God is don't take the name of God in vain. Or don't misuse the name of God. Don't live a life saying God said 
when God didn't say. And we do our thing to manipulate a situation or part of life in our favor. The whole time, they're being led in this direction. But at the same time, it was up to them whatever they could do with their money or their land or whatever it is. Just like today, you can do whatever we want to do with it. But they found themselves in in the church learning a very big lesson. Because Paul later writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 10. He's telling the believers, don't be like the Israelites way back when in Moses' day where they tested God and they ended up getting bit by snakes and Moses had to pray and be like, what do we do? Make a bronze serpent, hold it up on a staff, let people look at it, they'll be all right. And he said, don't be like the Israelites when they mumbled and grumbled and complained all the time and they dropped dead. He said, this is all written for our example. Let's learn from it. And so in the new, right here at the beginning of the New Testament church, there was a lesson to be learned. I'm not saying God makes people drop dead because they lie. But I think what we can take away from this story is that it sure can result in missing out on our purpose. It sure can make us miss out on our purpose. And I would beg to offer this. Why would you want to risk your purpose with God and your life by trying to lie, cheat, or manipulate something to make yourself look one way when in actuality it's not? Why risk it? constantly delaying what God has created you for. Because look at verse 11 of 5. It says, Great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what happened. You think? <laughs> Did you guys hear what happened to Ananias and what's her name? Saf- yeah, Sapphira. Yeah. Uh, I don't want that happening to me. Verse 12 says, the apostles were performing many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. And it says, again, all the believers, by this time over 5,000, were meeting regularly. In verse 14, more and more people believed and were brought to the Lord. Crowds of both men and women. How about we be the kind of believers and the kind of of church that we live in such honest and humble and transparent ways that more and more people come to know Jesus because this fellowship of believers exists I think that's probably the proposition of of this ending of this message today is what if we all determined I'm going to be that kind of believer. I'm going to be that kind of a disciple. I'm going to be that kind of Christian joined to my church and together as a church, together as a fellowship of believers. We're going to aim our life in such a way that more and more people come to know 
Jesus because this body of believers exists. Let it be known in the community that NLC church, that New Life church, they don't play around. They're no joke. They are compassionate. They are generous. Those people are honest as the day is long. Those people are so genuine. They'll show you their scars of life, but follow it up with a testimony of God's goodness and grace to them. They're not afraid to tell you, yeah, I once was jacked up, man. But Jesus has changed me. I'm not perfect by any means. But man, I so want Jesus to be Lord of my life. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I want to be that kind of a New Testament church. The kind of people that not only find their purpose, but don't grow weary in living our purpose. Because let's be honest, the world has a way of trying to bring weariness against believers. But at the same time, the world is waiting on believers who have found their purpose and aren't afraid to live it out. Not afraid to live it out. Come on, if you're able to stand, let's stand and we'll end this service today.